0: this is lisa and if you want to catch up with me on twitter you can find me at iltm podcast. i'm also on instagram i love that movie podcast and we have a patreon uh that's patreon.com slash i love that movie this show is always free but if you want to support us on there and keep the lights on you can uh and you get a weekly bonus episode of my ramblings of what i've been watching that week <laughs> so a lot of times i get questions like about certain tv shows or movies that are more current um, And that's kind of where you can find that content on there. And I want to take a moment, or uh, blah blah blah, I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons: Chris Balga, Jeff Woodman, Michael Cross, and Philip Barker. Again, thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on uh i also have a website i love that movie and if you like this episode please join us for the after party on fridays i'm hosting a live session where we recap the episode and then we usually just delve into the genre so like this week we probably talk about what did i miss on princess mononoke <laughs> episode and what other anime movies do i like and we just basically hang out and chat in there that's on get vocal And the link to that will be in the show notes. Uh, We also have Discord and Facebook groups. So look for us on there too. Uh, And I have a new guest with me here today, but she's not new to me. She's a personal friend. (laughs) I've got Jenny Pennington on the show.
1: Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And hopefully I don't mess this up too bad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you
0: won't. I feel like... You really love this movie and uh, I'm excited to talk about it with you uh, for a number of reasons that I will get into. But um, so, Jenny, um, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience uh, before we go forward?
1: Okay, so um, hi, I'm Jenny. Um, I am a all-around nerd. I do cosplay. Um, I do aerials. I spend a lot of time on my couch watching movies, especially these days. Um, briefly, briefly thought that I might actually go into the industry and then was like, nope, I have too fragile an ego for that. So quickly noped out, but just really <laughs> enjoy watching things and enjoying things and nerding out about stuff so very professional background obviously
0: awesome. <laughs> oh yeah well you know i also have a very professional background <laughs> <laughs> my story is similar to yours and that you know i cosplay and i watch a lot of movies and there ends my qualifications so you're in good company um so jenny uh my guest always picks the movie so what movie did you choose to
1: talk about today I chose Princess Mononoke by Hayao Miyazaki. Um, It is amazing, which we will get into. Ta-da.
0: Yes. So this came out in 1997, which is so weird. I can't believe how long ago it came out, but makes me feel a little old. But anyway, um, (laughs) this is such a great film, and I am excited to talk about this. We've done a couple episodes on anime movies uh because I am such a big anime fan and I do tend to have friends that also like anime so um but I think this is our first Hayao Miyazaki film which is interesting like that I feel like is normally would be the first one you talk about uh but yeah I'm excited to delve into this one it happens to also be my favorite Hayao Miyazaki film so I'm glad you chose it um yes. I want to let our audience know before we go forward that there will be spoilers. So if you have not seen this movie before, I highly recommend that you pause this recording and you go and watch the movie and come back. But if you're still with us, I'm going to go ahead and read the synopsis. In the 14th century, the harmony uh, humans, animals, and gods have enjoyed begins to crumble. The protagonist, young Ashitaka, infected by an animal attack, seeks a cure from a deer-like god, Shishigami. In his travels, he sees humans ravaging the earth, bringing down the wrath of the wolf god Moro and his human companion, Princess Mononoke. His attempts to broker peace between her and the human only brings more conflict. I think that that synopsis is interesting because it it tells it largely from Ashitaka's point of view, but I I think of this movie more from uh, Princess Mononoke's point of view. What do you think?
1: I don't know. I actually feel like... That's what makes it so interesting is that there are so many points of view in it. And but yeah, it's largely Ashitaka's point of view. And I don't know, I feel like maybe I'm a weirdo for this, but I always see it almost from like the the curses point of view. Cause that's like the one thing that's sort of consistent oh. throughout the whole thing is like the the following of this wrath. So
0: yes. it's not
1: really a character, but kind of. <laughs> Yeah. So when did you first see this movie? So I actually saw it in my junior year of high school um, because that's when it finally made it over here for the English dub release. I actually was super, super pumped because it was shown in theaters. And at the time, like I was still a huge nerd, but for the most part, anime was something that you'd have to go like dig through video store shelves to find whatever you could and like right like obviously like totoro and like those sort of films had come through so it was not only like really excited for an anime movie of any sort but like the hayao miyazaki stuff was always so heartwarming and like sweet that it was just a a very exciting time for young nerdy teen me and um my friends like we basically that's like our social life at the time was dig through the video store shelves <laughs> watch something that we that may or may not be deeply traumatic and then do it all again so um yeah so I did see it in theaters um I think it, I think I saw it about three times and I I went with wow. Stephanie who I, I know you've had on the show before and um yeah. We were super pumped. We actually, I think, the third time we ended up seeing it, there was almost nobody else in the theater, so it was like almost a private screening. So that was, <laughs> it was. Re- it, we were really into it, and it was great.
0: <laughs> well, you've out animated me because <laughs> I don't think I saw this in theaters. Um, so, so my history with watching anime is similar to yours, in that I remember going to like you know, the video rental store and just digging around and they, and they called it the international session <laughs> and that's where they put everything. And uh, which it was a huge, broad category, obviously. And so I saw a lot of things that way. Um, I can't exactly pinpoint the first time I saw this movie, but I think it was one of the first uh, Hayao Miyazaki movies that I saw Um, It might have been after I saw My Neighbor Totoro, though. Um, And I might not have even connected at the time that it was the same director, just because I was so new to the genre. But I I love that. I love that you saw it in theaters and that you saw it multiple times. I think the first Hayao Miyazaki film I saw in theaters was actually um, Spirited Away. So I don't think I made it to the theater until that point to see his films.
1: Yeah, well, I actually, like, I guess I lucked out because I know that it was a super limited release and like we had to go to the art house theater so mm-hmm. as high schoolers we felt very fancy and sophisticated going to like the the frou cinema and um
0: yeah. so yeah yeah
1: so I, I think like from what I read about it like there was some contention behind the scenes and that sort of limited the release so you you had to dig and like be lucky to find it near you so I also I guess I just lucked out. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that kind of leads me into the next section. I have a couple quick facts I wanted to share. Okay. Um, and actually I didn't write this down, but I think that tension you're talking about, wasn't that in- involving Harvey Weinstein?
1: It was. Cause this was like, actually. Many... Oh,
0: yeah, go ahead.
1: yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it was, um... yeah. So I also have just a couple facts, but yeah, one of the big ones is that this was a Miramax release when it came over to the States. So obviously Weinstein was involved and, um, Miyazaki was really upset because previously when they got a hold of Nausicaa, they had cut it down a lot and he was mad about it. So when they gave, when they negotiated the rights, he was very clear about, this is going to be the full release. You're not going to edit it. It's going to be as we give it to you, just dub it and release it. And, uh, Apparently, because the, the movie is about two hours and 13 minutes, and they tried to edit it down to 90. Um, so that's like significant Ugh. plot cuts. And um, Miyazaki just walked out of the meeting and was like, no, we're not doing that. And apparently, later, the producer ended up sending a sword, a katana that said no cuts on it. And that was the end of the discussion. <laughs>
0: I love that he did that. And, you know, obviously Weinstein is notorious for making horrible decisions. Yeah. (laughs) um, And, you know, committing crimes. But,
1: yeah, you know, normal stuff. It's
0: interesting. Yeah. That, like, that seems to happen so much. I feel like, specifically with this genre, especially back then, I felt like a lot of times you know studios over here would get the you know product the the film and or the show and they would recut it in a way that they think American audiences want which doesn't ever really work it just makes you know projects more confusing or shorter you know he probably would have tried to make it more kid-friendly because it's animated like I'm so glad he was not able to do that but it sounds like yeah there was like a slight repercussion to him sticking to his guns but ultimately I'm glad that we got to see the whole product and not you know slimmed down uh, in you know censored version of whatever his vision is
1: oh absolutely like can you imagine how that would like I I just can't imagine any because like especially like being so in love with this movie, I I can't think of a part that is superfluous that does not serve our purpose. That like, if you cut it out, the movie would still make sense. It wouldn't. It would just be like, what what's happening? How did we get here? Like, what's the point of this? Because like, <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't know. Like, it's upsetting to think about. But I'm I'm really glad. But like also, yeah. You think about a lot of the shows and a lot of the other stuff that came over, and yeah, like there are some definite big name shows right off the top of my head that I'm just like, yeah, that was garbage in the English dub. Like, garbage, garbage.
0: I think that's something, too. Like, nowadays, there's kind of a controversy around being pro-subtitle or pro-dub, you know? And I recognize that some of those things are true. Like, um, if you're pro-sub only, well, that leaves out people with, um, you know vision um, problems or vision limitations Um, so I understand that or or people that may have learning challenges and things like that so you know I, I think those criticisms are valid but I also think that that you know sort of anger towards dubs comes from a place where back when these first started coming over there was a lot of editing and then often changing the script to try to make it sound more you know quote unquote western or quote unquote american and that's where some of that animosity comes from i think that kind of bleeds over into today and sort of you know gets sort of miscast sometimes as elitism but really i think it's born out of you know wanting to see the original intent that the um You know, creator had in mind and not be limited or not have it go through this filter. Now, today, I think that the studios recognize that a lot more and they allow their artists to have their voices heard and they hire, you know, voice actors that are more uh, from a more like diverse pool of people. And, you know, better casting and and more direct translation. So I think a lot of those things have gotten a lot better. And so I can totally see why people nowadays are like, you're being elitist. Like, why why do you care about that? And it's like, well, if you know the history of, like, the earlier productions, you would kind of understand why we're so, why we cling so, you know, (laughs) closely to the original subtitled versions of things.
1: Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely... Like I, I remember the days when like Sailor Moon and like they're dating except they're cousins. And that's very confusing. And all of that, like where the original context gets yeah. lost, but like, even, even in like in the case of Princess Mononoke itself, like it's, it's Americanized so that people understand it. Cause I also think like there are references in the original dialogue that just did, wouldn't make sense to us because like like you were I, and i am completely gonna space on what it was called but when you were reading the description earlier the shishigami i think it was i hope i got that right but that yes the dear god is yeah. it is its own specific thing but they they changed the translation to that to forest god so we'd understand what that means because like that's that's definitely that's an actual word that Japanese audiences would understand. And we would have no idea what that is. And actually the the princess's name is not Princess Mononoke. Mononoke means vengeful spirit uh, or not spirit, but vengeful and like upset. So it's vengeful mm, princess. Her name that. her name wow. is San. And that makes sense. Cause like the only time we even hear it in the movie is like when Lady Boshi is describing her. So like, Definitely,
0: right. Like, wow. I Wink, wink. That. Nudge, nudge. I mean, even
1: the good, even the good dubs have to change stuff to make it make sense because there's stuff that like we just don't get. And like honestly, had I not right. read read the Wikipedia page, I would not have realized that either. <laughs> right.
0: I, I mean, you you raise a good point, and it's actually one of my quick facts too that Neil Gaiman in, they call it anglicizing the script, I feel like there's a better term for that, but <laughs> chose to simplify the plot elements to provide cultural context for phrases and actions not well-known outside of Japan, like you're saying specific terms like Jibashiri and Shishigami, for example, are changed to the more general mercenary and forest spirit. On the English language DVD, the subtitle options have a literal translation of Hayao Miyazaki's script, in addition to Gaiman's adaption. Um, So yeah, I mean, they got like a great writer to come in and try to reframe and contextualize some of this for an American audience. And I think this is where there, you know, when people, people over here that are not interested in anime, or um haven't seen a lot of it or say things like oh it's all so weird it's like weird becomes this broad term when what we really mean is we don't have the cultural context sometimes for some of the things that are happening in the movie or the show that we're watching and i think sometimes we get tempted to just dismiss it as strange instead of you know maybe sticking around and seeing where this goes and um, you know, certainly this movie, if you're starting with this one, there is a lot of stuff that there's a lot of world building that you're not like aware of that's already a part of Japanese culture. Um, but I think, like, if you walk into it with an open mind, uh, you know, the story, the core story still makes sense and resonates. And especially, I think the messaging in the movie really does too, um, even more so now than it did back then <laughs> for Western audiences. So, yeah. Um, It feels like we're in a place where we're a little bit more open-minded now about foreign cinema. But, you know, you're right. On some level, they do have to change some things just to make sure that the audience uh, over here understands what's
1: happening in in the story. So I also think that, like especially back when Princess Mononoke was first released and it was such, it was the first big release I can think of, but it was such a limited release that Mm -hmm. there was definitely that impression that animation's for kids. So this is definitely a kid's show. And I feel like that, I mean, that also goes into the editing thing and trying to sort of force animate, animated content to be (laughs) kid friendly, which it sometimes really isn't. Um, And I've got fun stories about that. Separately, but um, yeah. So I definitely think that 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 impression has grown since then. So I feel like I agree. It's audience. Yeah, audiences are much more accepting that any that it's just a medium. It's just a different medium. And I do think that, like, right. And I think, like, oh, go ahead. Sorry, (laughs) it's okay. I think we both did the same thing. Um, but like, but I think like (laughs) seeing other animated things like simpsons family guy as different as those are but like adult animation and then also seeing cinematic animation like the oh and i don't remember what it was called but it was the documentary on pbs about the ut tower shooting that was maybe rotoscoped is the word i'm looking for but it was basically animated on top of people's narration but like also they look like people but it was definitely drawn i don't i think rotoscope's the right term but but stuff like that where just different mediums where it's essentially animation but it's telling very different stories like documentary animation who to thunk right
0: right you know i i also think that hayao miyazaki he's got this i mean well first of all like um Disney had bought the rights to his movies and although now it's on HBO Max, so I don't know what's going on with that, but um, you know, people call them like the Japanese Disney, which I think there's a lot of movies he made that are very kid friendly, but then movies like this are not, I mean, they are in that I think children can handle them, but there's, there's definitely, I mean, it, it depends because there's a lot of violence and it, you know, there's some serious stuff that happens in this movie, I wouldn't say that the main audience is children, but I do think that a lot of people have an impression that he makes like children's films.
1: I I'd agree with that, but I also, it's one of those where I feel like he doesn't cater to children, but he definitely makes them where a kid can process it. Cause I definitely. Yes. And obviously not like a very young child, but I do think like a kid could watch this and get it. They'd get the concept they'd get maybe they wouldn't pick up all the nuances of this specific movie but i do think that like that's why miyazaki is so good as his is because his stuff's so layered that there's a lot going on and even i agree even in like totoro and like some of the more kid-friendly ones but i just think yeah he's he's got a wide breadth of content within it this is words words is hard um he's got he addresses a lot of different audiences with the same content, whereas Disney was definitely catered towards "I'm creating a fantasy for kids."
0: So. Exactly, I think you described it perfectly. I, I I agree. Um, the other couple of things that I had was that Doctor Hi- Director Doctor <laughs> uh, Director Hayami. Zaki- <laughs> I did not mean that. Uh, director <laughs> Hayao Miyazaki personally corrected or redrew more than eighty thousand of the film's one hundred and forty-four thousand animation cells.
1: Yes, so this—I got a story, like just a little story. But um, Yay. Go for it. so I actually was lucky enough to visit the Ghibli Museum in Mitaka, Japan, and Mitaka, Maitaka, Mitaka, Mitaka—I think it's Mitaka, Mitaka, Japan—and. One of the coolest parts of that experience for me was there is an entire room where it's floor to ceiling, the original drawings just tacked up on the wall. Wow. And so seeing awesome. that work up up close and yeah, like, and I'm just like, I am not surprised because they literally wallpapered, you cannot see the wall. And admittedly, it's, it's all of his work, but there was a lot of Mononoke in there because obviously he did so much. But I am not surprised that he did that much for that film because, yeah, it was pretty cool.
0: <laughs> and it's, it, it's out of an era where things are hand drawn. You know, th- this is the last major animated motion picture to be filmed on plastic animation cells, which blows my mind because when I was a kid, I was really into animation. Like there was a, a point in my life where I thought, Oh, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to, you know, draw, uh, animation. And then of course things started becoming digital. And I was like, nah, I don't know about that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not great at that. <laughs> but, um, you know, Kid Me was really fascinated by, you know, painted cells. And one reservation I had moving to like flash animation or, you know, things that were easier to do was that you lose all that detail. And I think that's part of why this movie ages so well. Like it's from nineteen ninety seven, but it's highly detailed because it's still that era of hand drawn. And it would take a while for I think, you know, other types of animation to catch up. Now, again, with Disney being a huge exception, they're always <laughs> on the cutting edge. But I just mean for like other films that are not Disney. Um but
1: yeah, that's that's so cool. I'm so glad that you got to see that. I would love to see yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's part of what gives this movie and like the I'm going to start over. And I think that that's what really sets this movie apart from his other subsequent classics is that it just has so much soul because of the art behind mm-hmm. it cuz like don't get me wrong, I love Spirited Away, I love Hell's Moving Castle, I'm eh, on Ponyo, but it's very pretty and I think that like there's just something about Princess Mononoke that just grabs you because it's so real in in a way that the others aren't it's, aren't the same. It's less. I shiny. agree. I think I it's know. more serious. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think it's I think it's got a more serious plot, and I also think that it's even though obviously like most of his work is set in Japan, it is more culturally tied to Japan and their views on you know world events and on history in a way that the other movies he made are not like i think this is the only movie he did that was in this you know in like feudal japan era i don't think he made another movie like this so it's like just so tied to i think him and you know japan's identity uh in a way that the other movies feel like he's almost telling other people's stories where this feels maybe more personal um but yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's always been my favorite one. And, and it's funny when you talk to people uh, nowadays, they've usually seen Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle. I don't think everybody's seen Princess Mononoke and I think they really should because I think it's, yeah, for me, it's like his crown jewel for sure. It's it's probably
1: my favorite one. I, I don't know that I can choose a favorite because I love them all in their own way. But I definitely, yeah, there's just, and, and same thing. I'm, I'm not sure that I can really say what my attachment is to this but i just there's something about princess mononoke that just grabs me every time and like i've seen it hundreds of times at this point and every time i still pick up new stuff and i'm still like excited about it and like there's just something about this movie there is just something about it because i also like i don't know maybe it's cuz it reminds me of when i saw it in the theater partially maybe but i've also like seen it so many times and it's just so earthy and real if that makes any sense like there's just something about it I that feels so. very I mean, grounding even though like even though there are some like really yeah i think alarming so. and scary parts of it i also find it like it's a very relaxing <laughs> movie if that makes any sense
0: well i think movies become a part of our lives in some ways because you've seen them so many times and in, in different part different times in your life you know you saw it when you were really young in the theater and then you see it when you graduate from college and then you see it again when you're older it's like it starts to feel like that movie is like a part of your life you know so i i completely relate to that i i've definitely felt that way about a lot of films um i think next we should talk a little bit about
1: some of your favorite scenes in the movie oh man that's a tough this is a tough tough some of my favorite scenes is the entire movie. But um, if I had to call out...
0: <laughs> That's valid.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the first one is when... And this is, once again, like a s- spoiler warning again, just in case you didn't listen the first time. Like, back it up. Go watch the movie. Okay. But when, um, when all the Town people get knocked off the cliff, when Ashitaka finds them and then so it's Mm -hmm. that scene where he's first in the river and then the following scene where they're going through the forest and they see the forest spirit for the first time because it's it really feels like you there you're there and I think that's that's part of why I love this movie so much is like the characters are great the story is great but just look at the backgrounds look at the details and like the tiny Mm -hmm. little like nothings that happened throughout the movie because like, and I, I, the forest scene I think is, probably the first forest scene is probably the best example of it because as the little kodamas are like running up the roots and all that stuff you really get to see like they put in all this moss on these trees and look at those tiny flowers and there's like oh look a little dragonfly went by and it's like completely translucent and like how did they even animate that but like there's just so much packed into that scene on top of just the wonder of like you're seeing the spirit realm for the first time and it's just so beautiful and I definitely want to go and just float in that lake for a while like just there there's a lot of both the technical prowess of that scene hits me like in a visceral and very like oh way but at the same time it's just it's just so cool and like I'm also a huge plant dweeb so I'm like oh look at that moss I think that that's like I don't and I don't know much about moss but yeah like that like, oh, look at that little moss and look at that little purple flower. It's probably a crocus. I don't know, but but that sort of like being able to see those details up close and like the dewdrops on the moss and like I'm rambling off. I'm going off. I'm going off. Watch out. But um, but even even when like they zoom in when you first see the forest spirits footprint. Where those butterflies yes. are all in it, but just the and the butterflies are like sort the butterfly and the footprint are what you're supposed to be focusing on, I guess. But if you just freeze that frame and really look at it, it's incredible, and I think it does relate back to what we were saying about the the hand drawn animation because it's like mm-hmm. there's just so, so so much richness richness and depth. and it really comes through Mm -hmm. like i don't know it's just it's a really incredible scene like that that trail walk up and i also like backing up to like the precursor of that scene um with ashitaka finding Koroku and the gunmen and that and like seeing san and the wolves for the first time Like, it's such a heavy scene. It's such, like, a momentous, and, like, you can hear it in the music. Like, oh, something's going on. This is important. But then Koroku sees the Kodama and freaks the hell out, and it's hilarious. So, like, I really, I just like the, that that scene packs so much into it. Like, it's dramatic. It's exposition. Like, oh, my God, these people just, like, fell over a cliff, and a lot of people probably just died. But, like, this guy is really concerned about this tiny little clicky head guy. Like... Okay. But yeah, so it's just, it's, it's a very, it's very funny. And I also, I'm going to riff off on the funniness, but I think that's another thing that makes Princess Mononoke so good is there is so much packed into it, where it is this heavy drama. It's very serious situations but you've still got that comedic element and you, there are still a couple of moments where you're just like, it, it just breaks the tension so well and perfectly at the exact right moment. And it, it's just the attention yeah. to, to care when those happen. So that's, yeah, that's, that's I, a big one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I think you touched on a lot of, a lot of things in that scene that are 100% true. I mean, you know, first of all, we did talk about the level of detail um, and the fact that you can look at the central focus of the scene, or you can look around the scene and see even more, and it does make the whole experience feel very immersive, which is cool because you know, as an American audience, we don't know this world that he's showing us, but the characters are also sort of discovering it at the same time. So that kind of, you know, they're surprised when they see the the little clicky head guys, and you know, the 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 uh, forest spirits and the forest gods and um, you know there's enough context that the movie tries to frame to where we understand kind of what's going on uh, but we get to experience that awe and you know sense of wonder that the characters experience and I think that's kind of cool that there's that juxtaposition of like there are really beautiful awe-inspiring things and terrifying things at the same time
1: and I think that that's
0: something that you know we're not used to or like I guess because we live in sort of like a Judeo-Christian society it's like we view God a very specific way and their view of you know the gods in the forest is so different and it's I I remember when I was younger thinking there was something really fun about like it sounds weird to say fun but like the the gods in the movie like the the wolf ones and the the boar and and all of them You know, the humans really recognize that they're scary, they're intimidating, um, but then they're also fascinated at the same time. And I just, I like both of those things being happening at like the same time.
1: Yeah, no, I I really, I I think that it, it is a very interesting take on it because yeah, like growing up, like you're not really exposed, or at least I wasn't exposed to Okay, I take it back. I kind of was because I was raised in sort of a hippy dippy environment, but this was sort of the first exposure <laughs> I had to like the ideals of Shinto and the fact that like things have spirits. So like the tree spirits, I was like that is just so cool. I love that. But I also think that like yeah, just the the respect and awe of the world around you, I guess, that the movie mm-hmm. takes on cuz like yeah, they're really scary, but they're only really scary because you burned down half a mountain, you know, like you kind of did it. You kind of did this to yourself. Right. Like they're only retaliating. And they even say it in, I think the, the iron town bar scene that, that Nago only attacked when they started burning up, taking up, like ripping out the forest to try and get to the iron. Like they were in harmony before right. that. So, so I think that like that, respect i think is maybe the right word i'm looking for but like that that understanding of like deity in the world around them was really interesting Mm -hmm. and i also i liked hearkening hearkening what am i what who am i (laughs) but um like going back (laughs) to that scene where they're climbing into the forest for the first time like they talk about like this is we shouldn't be here we're not supposed to be in this place Because this is obviously, like, full of magic and, like, this is a God place. You're not supposed to be here kind of thing. So I thought that was a really interesting part of the scene, too. And, like, even though at that point I'd never been in a natural environment that made me just be, like, wow, to that extent. Like, I, I respected that and I understood, like, yeah, there are just certain places that you're, like, there's something just unreal about this place there's an energy about this place so i thought that was really well conveyed through that whole scene too
0: there's a lot going on in this movie the messaging of the movie i really like and i think as i've gotten older have respected even more and i think audiences now would probably gravitate towards this message more but it feels like you know there's a couple things going on number one you know an environmental message um with, you know, the iron town moving in and destroying the forest and upsetting a balance that's there. um You know, previously, I think it's implied that people were, like you're saying, in awe of, respectful towards the forest and realizing that, like, we have our own domain, they have their domain, and then on some level we share. There's a relationship there. But I think the idea is that it's sacred and that it's, you know, needs to be maintained. But with the Iron Town moving in, um, it's destroying that, upsetting that balance and and literally getting rid of, you know, those creatures that live there, um, which I feel like is, you know, a metaphor for deforestation, but also a metaphor for, I think, Western thoughts and ideas um, changing Japan or or even you could you could compare it even to like Westerns when like you know, we talked about in Once Upon a Time at the West when the train comes into town it alters the landscape, it changes the dynamic in the town, the cowboy way of life goes away, everything becomes you know, more structured Um, as Japan starts to you know, quote unquote, modernize um, things are changing the landscape is changing uh, the structure of their society is changing and you see a lot of anime with that message about sort of like returning back to nature and, you know, not pushing this type of progress and the bad things that come along with it and i think the movie does a really good job of showing how you know the evil that's happening because of Iron Town, but also how the humans aren't necessarily all aware even though they're participating they may not completely understand you know why what they're doing is so toxic to the forest um and in some ways they think that you know like good things are happening like um Like Lady Toki, you know, um, they, the women that she's in charge of, I can't wait to talk about that, by the way, Um, (laughs) you know, they do her a certain way because, because she kind of saved them, but it's complicated. And I like that the bad guys or women, bad women. Uh, in this movie are complicated everything about it's complicated but you see this theme come up a lot i think about modernization or you know a lot of times it's westernization coming in and changing japan and you know that being negative um and so in this movie, it's like in a little bit of a different way, but it is kind of those same themes.
1: But yeah, I think that this also really ties in to as the movie progresses, going from the East to the West, because he's traveling East. They, like they say that in the beginning, that the Amishi people went East to get away and that's where they've been, but go West because the evil's in the West, which I'm like a little heavy handed, but sure. Yeah. Um, and so as he progressively, but the Amishi people are all like, they're very connected. They're very in touch. They immediately feel like something's not right in the forest at the very beginning. Like the, the medicine lady is like, y'all, something's wrong. And like, even in that first battle there, he tries to be like, go away. We don't mean you any harm. Like we don't want no trouble here. So like, they're still trying to find that balance and not having to even deal with this demon which I think is very interesting because I feel like in a lot of other media that I've consumed, it's like, Oh, it's a demon. It's bad. Kill it. But like, they tried to reason with it. They tried to do the right thing. And even after they killed it, they are like, we're going to perform funeral rites, We're going to make sure that everything's good. So like, please don't be mad. But we go from that sort of attitude in the culture that he's brought up in. And as he travels West, it's this increasing strife like where you see the samurais attacking everybody and then you get to iron town and it's not only the interpersonal stuff, but also the, yeah, the environment is being destroyed because of this ambition that Lady Eboshi has. But at the same time, I think it's really, really interesting that there isn't really a bad guy. Like there's, there's like, yeah, even Iboshi is, I guess, the main antagonist. I don't, I, I have feelings about that too, because like, is it Iboshi or is it Jigen? Same. I'm not sure because like, they're both. Eh. But like, if we focus on Lady Iboshi as the antagonist, like she's not a bad guy. Her motivation is just to take care of her people at any cost. So she just doesn't care about what the environment is happening. And honestly, she didn't care about the gods until they started attacking her people. So like, and she's also painted really benevolently because she's brought in these lepers and she saved these women from brothels. And so like, she really, she has a good heart and she's a good person. And that's why everybody in the town loves her. So like, yeah, I just think it's really interesting that, like, it's it's that, like, even the bad thing that's happening, you're not, you understand it. Like, it makes sense. And you you have empathy. And you see that she's not all bad either. And even, I don't know, I, I would actually argue that Jigen is probably the actual bad guy here, because he's, like, super shady and shifty and just trying to get everybody to do his dirty work. But at the same time, like, even he's not all bad because at the beginning he helps Ashitaka not knowing this guy at all not knowing that he even has gold so like he just goes over to to help out and so I don't know I just think it's it's a very complex conflict which it is I, I think, think a lot it, of it has yeah. to do with or go ahead sorry you no know, no it's I was just gonna say that like because it's such a complex conflict it's less about who wins and like reverting back but like finding that balance and harmony so that everybody can exist again and like extreme spoiler jumping to the very end like even even with everything destroyed I think it was really nice to see that even like the bat, like Lady Eboshi is like yep we'll try again we'll, we'll make this better and like we'll work and like I don't know. And even Kuroku at the end being like, well, I didn't know the forest god made the flowers grow. And it's just, which is kind of like the funny comic relief, but it's just that backing up that these aren't bad people. They just didn't realize what they were, like, they didn't realize the implication of what they were doing and like how it was affecting everything so much, if that makes sense. You know,
0: like the nature of her, Lady Iboshi being a woman, she can't wield the same power as a man. So she's automatically maybe more considerate to the underdogs and like the, the people in society that are kind of at the bottom, like the lepers um, and the the women in the brothel, they're, they're people that are not, you know, like respected. And it feels like she took them all in and she becomes their leader. And she ends up holding a position over them that is not typical for women, but because of where they are in relation to her and the way she's treating them and humanizing them, they revere and follow her. But I think there's a theme of like of like, you know, power changing people. Like maybe Lady Iboshi started as this really good person, but as she gets more and more control and more and more power you know she's still a good person but it's it's just so tempting to to do certain things and i think the same is with Jigo, too like he helps ashitaka but then when he hears about the gold it changes him you know and i think like those kind of themes you see a lot in in japanese films um, and really in western films too of like power sort of being too enticing for people that they end up making decisions that they wouldn't otherwise make but like you said it doesn't actually make them like 100 bad people um they still have that context to them at the end where you you see the different sides of people um and realize that they are more complicated than just like bad guys and good guys um and i think you know the people in the forest or the the creatures of the forest the gods have this certain view of humans but because of San um, the wolf you know gods start to view people differently and like her sort of being in between both worlds like at first she hates herself for being human and then as it goes on and she sees the goodness in Ashitaka she sees that you know people are complex and I think that's also part of the story too.
1: Yeah I definitely would agree with that I think san's battle with her humanity is a really interesting part of the story but i don't know i really feel like i don't know the whole see with eyes unclouded thing was a really interesting take because yeah like if especially if you as the viewer following ashitaka through this story try to do the same as you watch the movie i think like it definitely lends to that like there's there's no bad guy, really. Like, everybody has their own thing. And I also mm-hmm. think that, like, sort of backstepping back to Lady Boshi like, regardless of her backstory or how she got there, like, we know for a fact she got there because of her moxie. And, like, she's willing to do whatever it takes, like, whether it's shoot the forest spirit or take in lepers. But, like, she's at the heart of it, a good person. But I also think that, like, for me, that was a really interesting trade with like how we look at powerful women because is it moxie or is it ambition and like in a bad way ambition or ambition in a good way kind of thing so like because you can tell that like lord asano does not think highly of lady aboshi like he's intimidated by her but the second she's gone he's gonna swoop in and try and manipulate the situation to his benefit which also like He's a warlord, so maybe that's part of his character in general. But I, I thought that that was a really interesting take on it because, yeah, she's obviously they call her Lady Eboshi, but I don't think she came by it from title. Like the emperor didn't gift her that title. Like she didn't come from society. But at the same time, like um Jigo, I think is really interesting to look at from the same perspective because he is also from humble origins, but he gets his power by decree of the emperor with the certificate to go kill the forest Mm -hmm. spirit. So I thought that that was really interesting too. But at the same time, he was definitely a lot less direct about it, especially when you compare the two. Whereas Lady Eboshi is just going to walk up and be like, Screw you, Wolf God! I'm gonna shoot you. Whereas Jigo is like, go, go hide under the rock behind the town, and I'll call you out when I need you. So, so I think that that's really interesting, and it's also like a big switch up because normally I feel like the male and female characters approach things the opposite way, where like the women are more like sneaky about stuff, whereas the the men are like, I'm just gonna <laughs> yeah. do it. So, so I thought that was really interesting and just another cool layer to. The, the situation but I I definitely think that like Jigo I don't know I feel like he's even though at the very end he is just like well you can't win them all that he's not repentant so I feel like he's the least redeemable but yeah he's not all bad because he's just ambitious and he's just trying to like win the emperor's favor yeah,
0: I'm wondering if some of it too is just you know speaking on different like on classism Um, And that some of these people's motivations come from where they are in the hierarchy of society. So like, you know, both Lady Eboshi and Jigo, they're not really at the very top. And so maybe they're pressured uh, by outside forces, meaning society, to do certain things. Um, And that's why they're like complicated people. And even, like, the soldiers, you know, and the people in the town, they could make them look bad, too, for destroying the forest. But kind of like you're saying, it's like, you end up feeling sympathy for them. Like, hey, these people are just trying to survive. And they're definitely doing the wrong thing, but I don't think they're aware of it. And it's like, a lot of what's driving their ambition is just their their place in life and how can they get to a better place in life. And, you know, they get lost sort of in that, but at the same time, it's hard to blame them for wanting to... To move up.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely would agree with that. Because I think that like, yeah, it's that that whole everyone has a valid reason for doing what they're doing, except possibly the samurai. But yeah, I just think that, that that's part of the charm of this movie is that it is so complex. And that's also why it holds up so well. You can watch it and watch it and watch it and pick up different things every time and like flush out your view a little bit more especially like you were saying earlier about like where you are in your life like maybe you'll pick up different things and like where we are right now I think for me really strongly (laughs) called out the people just doing what they need to do to get by versus or not even versus Mm -hmm. but people doing what they need to do to get by because the world's kind of a shit show And at the same time, like understanding that the environment needs to be taken care of. And like, we need to do that because there's this war impending with these boars and like just, yeah, addressing that situation. I think that that was for me, that sort of was heavier this time just because of the world we're in right now. But but yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think for a long time in in pop culture media, you know, whether that's over here or in another country, you know, there's been a lot of messaging around environmentalism. And I think for such a long time, especially here in the West, we're so resistant to that. And now we're sort of in a place in history where we can no longer ignore it. Um, yeah. And even those that... <laughs> you know try to deny it it's like well freaking look around um, double hurricanes you know so it's i mean come of, on <laughs> right it's yeah i just feel like people are now more open to these this kind of messaging about you know getting back to nature about there being balance about you know our responsibility our role in this world and how we uh change the landscape and how we change The planet that we're on so yeah I think I think a lot of that does hit harder for me too I don't think when I was younger I really connected with that message a lot I just thought of it as like oh they're destroying the forest and the forest doesn't like that because they live there but now I'm like oh I get it (laughs) so you know it definitely changes as you get older for sure um I want to talk a little bit about Ashitaka's cursed arm and you know that whole concept and what you think that means in the in the context of the film.
1: Okay, so yeah, the arm, <laughs> the arm. I think is its own character. <laughs> um, I do think that it's the rage and the anger of at everything that's happening in the world. Because like at first, like it before it's his arm, it's all over Nagô. And then he touches him and he transfers Mm -hmm. that and he curses him with like, I'm mad and you're going to carry my anger on your arm. But then every time Ashitaka gets mad or has like wrath or anger, his arm like wigs out, but also the mark grows. And I actually like, this is a good tie-in for another one of my favorite scenes, which I'm like, maybe this makes me a bad person, but it's just so funny (laughs) for me. Um, When he (laughs) first... Sees the samurai and his arms, like, and he's like, "Oh no, I'm trying to defend." Like, they're coming at me, so he's defending himself and he's defending these people. But his arm is like, "We're we're mad, we're stressed. Like, there's it's a high emotion situation," and decides to kill those samurai. But just like the zero to nothing of, he shoots an arrow and takes off both of a guy's arms or like an entire samurai's head. And I just thought that that was really like, whoa, this is serious because like you don't expect it, especially if you've seen Miyazaki's other work. I've never seen anything like that in those in any of his other movies. So it was definitely like, whoa, what just happened? But also almost comedic, if that makes any sense, (laughs) because it's just like it's so extreme and so exaggerated and like the cross section on those arms is just so shocking but I also think that, like, yeah, like it just shows the strength of the arm. That obviously, like, that's not something that a normal person could do because right after the other samurai on a horse was like, oh, it's a demon because normal people don't take people's heads off when they shoot an arrow at them. So, so I think that that sort of ties back in just the enormity of this wrath being that's attached itself to his arm, if that makes any sense. And I think that like, as it grows, it, it yeah, it's every time he's in a, a situation of conflict. Cause like, I think the next time that it wigs out after that is when son falls off the roof or gets shot off the roof. And he, Jumps down to be like y'all back off. Nobody should be fighting. And his like, and it manifests into a whole like translucent snakey thing. And I think that that's that's probably the most heavy-handed indication of it in the whole movie. And I think like that's where everybody really gets like, oh, that's what's going on. But then after that, you see him after being shot and recovered. Like he looks at his hand and sees that not only has the forest spirit not healed him it's grown and so he's like okay great and then he just sort of embraces it but yeah every time every time he just lets that anger and conflict boil over it gets worse and then at the very end like they're both covered in it because it's just like the conflict between i guess like the forest spirit and them but they do the right thing and just let go of this and understand that like the world's different and like, we have to find this balance now. So I think that, I don't know, the arc, the character arc of the arm I think is really interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's a lot about the destructive nature of rage and like that mm-hmm. scene you're talking about where he kills people almost unintentionally. It's, it's sort of like a metaphor for like, when you're in the state of rage, when you're giving into anger, there isn't any reason. Um, Once that starts to take hold of you and control you, then, you know, people do things that maybe they would not have done otherwise. Or, you know, it's like, you're not, yeah, it's like taking control of you and getting worse and worse and worse. And like, I think his view of humanity shifts so dramatically after he's cursed because you know mm-hmm. when he gets cursed and he sees what happens and he's forced to leave his village they're like hey you got to get out of here like we don't want to i mean essentially his village was like we don't want to be infected with that yeah. rage and
1: anger <laughs> we want you to leave well they definitely um, and so he has to go i was gonna say they they just definitely even when he first gets it everyone's like don't touch it don't touch it it's cursed there's something wrong with it don't touch him so just it. yeah adding on. Sorry,
0: go ahead. And they're very (laughs) closed. Oh, no, you're fine. And they're very closed off from the rest of Japan. I mean, to the point where they're like, you have to leave, you can't tell anybody where you're from, and you can't ever come back. Yep. And he just calmly Does it, And, you know, as an American audience, I think we're like, what in the what? Like, why is this happening? But then by the end of the movie, you see the destructive nature of the curse that he's given, and you kind of get it. You're like, yeah, it's like once he crossed that line, even unintentionally, his original village is like, you just can't stay here. Like, you've crossed into different territory, and we don't want to be a part of that, and we don't want to be infected by it quite literally (laughs) and so he leaves and he thinks that like okay i can spread this message of like hey this is bad and we need to stop doing this we need to stop effing with the forest because like this is what happens um and it's something that he's trying to convince everybody of the whole movie (laughs) and including uh son and you know he's trying to emphasize that there needs to be found like a middle ground before this destructive rage takes over um and it's i don't think it's really ever truly understood by everybody until the very end um but yeah no i agree the arm is like that that was another thing that like when i first saw this movie i was like wow that is so interesting and different uh from what i've seen in movies before so it was definitely like my first time seeing something like that like a curse being Instead of, like, over here, I feel like a curse is, like, almost always, like, metaphorical, like, oh, well, you'll die young or something. In this case, it's a physical thing that we can see.
1: Yeah, well, and I also think that, like, and this, like, didn't occur to me until you were talking just now, so thank you for this, but I also almost feel, like, the curse (laughs) is that the rage and the anger of the outside world, like, travels all the way to this isolated village and... Yeah, he's basically, his life is ruined by this outside world's rage because he has to give up his entire life that and he like didn't do anything to deserve it, but just things are so bad that they spilled over and infected him. And the village was like, yeah, you're tainted by the outside world. You got to get out now. So, so I thought that was a really, absolutely that was, that was a really cool, cool little thing you just pointed out there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, because I think you see that a lot in in you know anime this idea about the outside world sort of corrupting uh you know the <laughs> society and it makes a lot of sense I think from a historical standpoint too because for a long time they were sort of closed off from a lot of other countries um and so you kind of understand how that especially a, the dramatic change that the country is you know has made now it's like it's understandable that some people would feel like hey let's return back to how it how it was before you know uh and i think that that theme comes up a lot in a lot of a lot of film that i've seen from over there so
1: another of the arm scenes that i wanted to talk about which is i think possibly the funniest portion of the movie just because it's in the middle of such a dark part it's when and and it's so it's when Ashitaka is writing to get help from Lydia Boshi for Iron Town, and the samurai give chase and they shoot um, Yakul. And like Yakul is definitely my favorite character in the entire movie because he's just such a good boy. But so you, oh. you get that rage and you see like you basically just shot my dog kind of thing. But just he annihilates those samurai. But it's that scene where those last pair are riding at him. He shoots the guy's head off and the other samurai, doesn't even let go of his bow. He just about faces and nopes right out of there. And it just like (laughs) it's such a serious scene, but it's so funny (laughs) because like same. I would absolutely just be like, nope, nope, can't do that. Nope. So I don't know. I just I thought that was a really funny juxtaposition just in in context of the arm discussion that those two I don't know for some reason whatever his arm hulks out and decapitates people I find it funny which maybe that says bad things about me but you know but I just I think yeah yeah it's so shocking but it's the violence comes on so quick it does and then it and then it's gone it's just so weird like I don't know and I yeah so there's that scene and then i'd probably say and it's one of those where like i don't know if it's really a favorite scene but it's a scene that sticks with me every time in an unsettling way is the the battle where like they're when he the guy's retelling what happened just that sea of pigs is so interesting and so well animated and like you, you feel it, like you feel like the bombs are coming in on top of you, but just like, I don't know. I just think that that the animation on that is such a really interesting scene. And then just maybe not even the animation, but just the way they put that scene together. And then with the, the grave digger, who's clearly having post-traumatic stress, like flashbacks, not even post-traumatic, like shortly after stress, like, yeah, so just that whole scene where Ashitaka's a getting a recap, but like you really get a feel for what Jigen and his guys have done to these people and the fact that Lady Eboshi kind of left them high and dry. Um, but I just think that that's a really cool scene. And like also like you see San charging up like with the pigs and or the boar. But I don't know. I just I just think that that's a really cool scene. <laughs> like it it's negative and it's it's pretty upsetting, but just yeah. And I also I don't know I also think that the um the one point in that scene that every time I notice it, and it maybe it's just once again me dealing with dark things and like humorous ways. But it's there's one pig that as they're come or one boar that as they're coming up the mountain. Like they overwhelm the gunmen on like this little promontory, and one boar hooks them and just like ha eats them off the top of it. And I don't know, I just that always really sticks out to me, and maybe not in a funny way per se, but I just always notice it as like a very pronounced like man, those guys just got chucked off that mountain pretty aggressively. So yeah, that scene.
0: Well, I I think the movie um. I think that the movie is making a statement about war and violence, right? Like, there's violence mm-hmm. in the movie um, when Ashitaka's arm gets out of control. But this is where we really see the most violence. And it's really ugly. And it's, you know, there's a cost. And people are are lost in this violence. And I, I don't think you see that a lot, especially in animation. So I think it's it's a scene that really sticks with you. Cause, and, and, and even sometimes some war movies, it's like... They glorify; they're almost like propaganda for violence, or it's like a fun part of the movie. Yeah, but in this case, actually, it's very well done and very well blocked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like this is still that, but at the same time, there is like this big cost at the end, and it feels like it's driving home the point about rage and violence in the movie itself. And I always like that. I always like when directors and storytellers are able to to sort of weave in, like, "Hey, you know, this is exciting," but you know violence is bad and
1: here's why you know yeah. so like it's almost yeah, I it's, like that it's exciting too. but it's stressful because i also think that like yeah you feel bad for the men but i honestly just the sheer number of dead boars is always really overwhelming for me in that scene and it it makes it that much worse just like these i mean admittedly they are like massive but just these piles of dead animals people People are animals too, but you know what I mean? Just like the, this, I feel like it really reinforces the scale of it. And also just seeing the boars like fall off when they get exploded. It's just very visceral, I guess is the right word, what I'm looking for. Cause yeah, it's, it's just the way they do that. And then I don't know, I feel like it also really sets up the next scene with, um, Oh shoot, what's the guy's name? Hold on. The boar god, not the god, not Naga. Um, starts with an A. Gotta scroll through. Okoto, Lord Okoto. Yeah, so it really sets up the next scene with Lord Okoto where he thinks his soldiers are back because, like, clearly they've just been through a really brutal battle. And it sets up his whole transition into becoming a demon really solidly like you understand why he's being overwhelmed with rage you understand exactly what just happened and I think it also makes it that much more perverse that the hunters are wearing the boar skins and like aside from the objective creepiness of like the weird floppy people boars like ooh it creeps me out every time like it's just it's so unsettling but I think that it having seen that setup really makes the rest of that pop more
0: yeah because i think we're used to seeing animals as you know not having their own agency not having personality not having you know what i mean like we they're not human so we're like oh they're animals and so when we see animal skins we don't think about it but in the context of this film we saw them as like you know not just living animals but animals that seem to have souls and animals that seem to have thoughts and motivations and so later when you see people wearing their skin it definitely takes on
1: a different meaning yeah because I mean it's almost like they are actually two armies so it's it's almost as unsettling as if they were the skins of defeated human enemies like I don't know it just it really gets me every time like it's just so ugh. I don't like it no thank you no thank you pass
0: (laughs) what do you you think about the uh the the monkeys I also hate those those monkey gods are very Mm -hmm. creepy the
1: red eyes their voices yeah Mm -hmm. the apes yeah Mm -mm. no thank you again pass but I don't know I feel (laughs) like I in that scene I actually really appreciated the eyes for, on all of them because I I think it was a really cool way to call out animals versus people because none of the people's eyes reflected the dark, but the animals do because like, and that's like a normal thing. Like if you go outside with a flashlight and there's like a raccoon or something in the backyard, its eyes glow back. So I thought that that was just a pretty cool way to convey all of these animals in the forest and their presence and that they're being displaced But the actual apes themselves were like, ooh, I don't know, man. It's the the creepy slow voices, (laughs) the fact that they want to eat Ashitaka to gain his strength, and just the fact, I don't know. They are just, it's the slow motion, I think, because they don't move very fast either. And I don't know why that's unsettling, but I just, I have a strong dislike. And like, I don't know. I also feel like that's, that's the one part where I'm just like, screw nature, screw those guys, they can get out of here. Because, like, I don't know, <laughs> for the rest of it, I feel like you're very sympathetic, but, like, they're out there trying to plant trees, and I totally get why Oboshi's shooting guns at them, because I'm like, yeah, they're creepy. They're really creepy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I, I agree. They're unsettling, but also a very cool effect, and an interesting choice. You know, I guess maybe just making... All the different gods have like different personalities. I don't think we've even talked about how, um, what's what's her name, uh, Jillian Anderson Morrow, has this voice where like, it sounds like. I mean, I thought at first it was like just Jillian on two different registers, maybe, but I think also meant. Do you think it's meant to imply like, like a
1: genderless quality to that character? I do think so because I actually um when I first saw the movie I saw it in the original subtitled um so with the Japanese voice acting and that character is actually dubbed by a male voice actor and this was actually a fun fact that I learned that apparently in Japanese media wolves are always male and cats are always female regardless of the gender of the actual character like voice wise so okay. so I think that, that that's that was them trying to get that same characteristic but had i not known that that character was originally voiced by a man i think i probably would have just taken it as like them trying to make her sound more godlike and ominous and scary like the boom voice of like get out of my forest or i'm going to chew your face off like cuz i i do feel like yeah that makes that makes her she is physically big and scary and imposing, but I think that having a voice that matches up with that was really important. And I, th- I think that like their casting was really good on that. I actually think that overall I liked their casting pretty well. There were a couple times where I felt like Ashitaka was a little, not as emotive as he should have been. But that's pretty much my only complaint. I definitely like. I think that Claire Danes did a great job as Son. I think um, it was Billy Bob Thornton that was Gigo, right?
0: Yeah, I like how the casting—you know—they they, yeah. cast actors, but they make them do like cartoony voices, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, they just—it's just their regular voice. And I kind of like that because I, I do feel like we do that a lot. Like, oh, you have to have like a what well, you know. What does a little dog sound like? And then people <laughs> do like a voice. It's not just actor, but in this case, I felt like they treated the source material like it was serious, and so you know, every no one's really like doing like a silly voice.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I liked that they basically just they acted it just without physically acting it, rather than just like getting crazy and even which I, I feel like it's probably easier for the human characters, but even for the, the God characters, they did a really great job with it. Um, especially like, yeah, Julian Anderson. I don't know who voiced Lord Akoto or even Naga, like, but all of the, the big players did a really good job. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. like, especially cause I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a voice actor. I have no idea how hard it is to match up voice flaps. But I feel like the fact that the gods' mouths don't move the way a human would when they talk, like a, I think that it that was a good call to not make it like weird and cartoony. But I think, and even like in the Japanese dub, that does not match what they're saying. They just sort of move their mouths around, and these voices come out. So I think that that must have been really difficult. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like that because it's the same thing where it's just like they're just sort of like moving, moving their faces and then, but it doesn't match like the way a normal person would talk. Does that make sense the way I'm describing it? Like you know what I'm talking about, right? It does. It, I think because they're not human, it's like they're
0: communicating, but it's not. Yeah, it's almost like you're right. They're they're what they're saying doesn't match up to the voice flaps and hearing does. It doesn't in Japan either. I think that's. Maybe to give them that, like, ethereal quality or just a reminder that even though they're speaking in a language that the humans can understand, they're not human. Um, Exactly. And they are gods. And, like, so it's creating that, like, distinction.
1: Yeah. But I think that that must have been crazy hard to act against because there are mouth movements, but it's not going to match what you're saying. But you still need to make it sound legit and also, like, hit the characterization of what this this character is supposed to be so I thought that that was pretty cool and I think they did a really good job so I think in the past like in the night
0: 80s and 90s when they would translate some of these stories they would come from very small production companies over here um, or in Canada and that meant that their acting pool was very small and so you had some really talented people that were good at acting but sometimes i think a shortcut in if you know the actor was playing two different characters it's like well make this character have a different accent or (laughs) make this character have a goofy voice and it didn't really match up with the source material but they were working with what they had you know they had this really small acting pool so they had to just go with that these days because anime has become so popular over here those studios are able to pull in a lot more voices and when you have more voices, you get better casting because, you know, one person can't do it all unless you're Mel blank, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think, I think what you're touching on, it's like, it's that, it's like, it's not so much, there's no blame on the actors themselves, but I think they were limited by budgets. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, yeah. And again, like, we're tiptoeing because nowadays some of this stuff is controversial, but we're talking about in the context of 1997 and not in the context of today. Um, well, were there any other scenes that you wanted to, to touch on before we uh, wrap up?
1: I think so, but give me just a second because like there was a lot that I really wanted to touch on, or not really wanted to, but I just feel like there's just so much to talk about with this movie but also it's nine and we've been talking for like an hour and a half so uh, That's okay. let me uh, yeah oh, I don't know, I feel like so maybe not scene wise, but I really do want to sort of talk about the scenery because i feel like that is such a big portion of this movie and i really liked how it wasn't necessarily all exposition there are several moments where it's just quiet it's quiet and things are moving and there's amazing music in the background that just like super supports these breathtaking scenes but I just think that the the framing and the pacing is really interesting, and I really loved that about this the way the movie's put together. Because um, I know that Miyazaki had mentioned that this is this is not put together like other movies. It's very slow paced and it's intentional, and it's going to do what it's going to do. But I just think that taking those moments to really appreciate these vast scenes, and then suddenly cutting into something really focused and the one that comes to mind is when like before ashitaka gets to iron town he's writing and it's foggy but then it cuts to a rock just a rock and some grass and then it starts raining and then suddenly it's raining like hard and then as soon as it not not as soon but as fast as it happens as fast as it starts raining it drifts through in the background and then it's sunny again and then suddenly he sees iron town so i just think that like a lot of the visual language of this movie is really interestingly put together. And like, I feel like that's part of what makes it so compelling is these just, I, I don't know. I, I don't find them jarring, but I definitely notice them as being very different from anything else that I've seen in the way the story is pieced together and they're, they're all as important. And then I also, I guess on the the topic of pacing, Of the whole movie, I do think it's really interesting that, like, for the most part, it's actually a pretty, like, slow story. I find it really interesting that there are a lot of these very short, brief, high action scenes, followed by a lot of these very, like, long, slow, either dialogue sequences or very calm sections, because, like, even like the beginning of the movie are these mountains covered in mist and narration. And like then a little like bubbling of like something a little ominous. And then you cut to this long sequence of Ashitaka writing in the forest. And then eventually, and that's like a significant amount of time before he actually talks to anybody. He comes out into the field and then sees the the girls and is like, got to get back to town. Um, and so that's, there's, like, I guess some suspense building, but it's, for the most part, pretty slow, I would consider, compared to, like, especially American movies. And then suddenly this boar bursts out of this the the forest and this crazy action sequence happens with these, like, very alarming snake things, which, like, kudos to Miyazaki because he does cute and relaxing and calming very well, but he also does objectly terrifying very very well as well because like the just the creepy crawliness you can feel it in your soul every time those things show up on screen and then so yeah so there's this deep intense action sequence and which ends in like this sort of horrifying body melting skeleton bleeding thing in a field and then it's back to this very like spiritual calm like we'll honor you and then this this slow scene where he's exiled but it's a I mean for getting exiled that was a pretty chill 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 moment because he's like oh all right I gotta leave gotta leave everybody I've ever known bye and even like his sister wishing him goodbye that's all pretty low-key if that makes sense and so and then Again, followed by these long scenes of just landscape (laughs) and him traveling. And then you're immediately brought into these crazy samurai, like, chopping men in half. And then Ashitaka's arm raging out. And so just, I think that the pacing was really interesting. And how they managed to work in all of these really beautiful, slow, calming, scenic moments with these jarring and extremely alarming violent scenes which is a very yeah. long way for me to say that one thing <laughs> oh no
0: no i agree um when we were talking about again hearkening back to i'm using hearkening too. <laughs> <Thinking back laughs> on what's upon a time in the west um, we talked about how westerns are very much that same way with pacing. Um, you know the west the backdrop of the landscape is a huge character in those movies and also the pacing and a lot of them with like the violence and then the beautiful great outdoors and then you know all that stuff is sort of happening at the same time um Mm you get these different moments in these movies. Um, And I think in this one, you know, there is that theme about environmentalism. And so um, in, in the landscape going away. And so I think that's why you get so many powerful moments where you really get to like breathe it in. Even when things happen to characters that are very big, like the, you know, that violent scene and then his arm being cursed and a little while later there's war. It's almost like humans are having all this stuff going on. And then at the same time, in the same world that they live in, there are these vast, open, beautiful landscapes. And I kind of like that, you know, the pacing sort of lets you get to exist in both those places
1: in within the context of the film. Yeah, and I also feel like, because it, it, a lot of the time it is these vast, beautiful landscapes, but even the ugly ones, they spend their time going over it like when you first see Iron Town, there is a very long pan of all the deforestation the devastation so you can really drink it in and like another one that since it's the pig scene we already talked about that but yeah that whole where he first arrives and you just get this panorama of carcasses and bodies over this whole mountain and i think that like that stands out even more that they broke the action pacing of like this serious and important stuff is happening to like really let those images sink in. So I don't know. I feel like, yeah, the landscape, but also just like the pacing and letting you just see what's there. Yeah, no, I agree. I think,
0: I think they're not like holding your, he's not really holding your hand. He's letting you, sort of process the images that you're seeing on your own without the context of you know like nowadays or even back then where they were trying to cut this down this movie down to be a little shorter it's probably because of moments like that we're like well let's cut to the chase here let's zoom on this let's cut to this guy but you know your audience is smart enough to process things and to take things in and and i think more patient than we realize sometimes so I I agree I, I think the pacing in this movie is very important and that comes up a lot on my show of me liking movies that have a slower pace that lets you really immerse yourself and make your own decisions about what different scenes might mean
1: yeah and I just think that like taking the time to have those really poignant transitions like the the rain one I was talking about a minute ago like, that really adds to the movie for me. Like, I just Mm -hmm. having, like, those little moments where they just zoom in on, like, a plant or they zoom in on the footprint or they zoom in on the rock with the rain. Just, like, yeah, just the the different levels of focus, I think, makes it really interesting. And also, yeah, it does... I I feel like it also gives everybody time to process the movie more because when there's stuff happening all the time you're just like you miss bits maybe yes or not miss bits but it's just it's it's overwhelming and it can get too much but I I really I like that it really takes its time to tell the story that they want to tell it's just it's just so good and it's so beautiful and like visually stunning at every point even when it's a dead pig. So, yeah. <laughs> Amen. To I'm that. sorry, I keep bringing them back because, like, they're just <laughs> seared in my brain.
0: Oh, yeah. Anybody that's watched this movie, it's seared in their brain. I totally agree. Yeah. So,
1: I have a question for you. Sure. Who is your favorite character and why?
0: Well, younger me would have said San um, because I wanted to be her. Um, a fierce like wolf princess. (laughs) It's really cool. Um, (laughs) I mean, who didn't? Who didn't? (laughs) But I and then and then maybe thinking about complexity of character, I do come back to Lady Eboshi a lot too. But I think, and maybe it is because he's sort of the hero of the story in some ways. I like Ashitaka because he exists in both worlds for most of the movie. Like he's our Even though San, I mean, you would think like she would be the in-between because she's a human in the wolf's world. But really, Ashitaka is truly, I think, in the middle with his cursed arm and, you know, being kicked out of his village. And um, he's he's the he's sort of the peacemaker of the movie. He's he's in between the the human spirit world. And I, I really like that about his character.
1: yeah no I think it's it's a tough question because like there are just there are so many good characters in this movie so I just I'm always curious to see what people say well who's your favorite uh yeah cool yeah cool oh. the the elk because he's like he's there and he gets what's going on but I just I don't know I just I like the fact that like even though he's not a speaking character like he's very important to the entire story And, like, he's just, I don't know, Ashitaka's little loyal buddy, but, like, he definitely, yeah, I don't know, I just, I just really like the way they use Yakul to help with the story. Because, I mean, yeah, and it's just, like, yeah, just, like, the fact that Yakul won't leave when San sets him free, it, it shows, I don't know, I feel like it just serves to sort of reinforce that what you were saying about Ashitaka, that he really is this bridge between the spirit and the human. And that you can see that nature can get along with people. I just, yeah, I just feel like it was, it's subtle. Like it's a real like wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing that took me a while to sort of get, but I, I just, I really appreciated that quiet under layer of the elk. Yeah. Also, he's real cute. cute. He's
0: real cute. (laughs) When I was a kid, too, I loved the little tree spirits. I I was
1: obsessed with them. Oh, gosh, yeah. Honestly, like... I would love to be in a forest and meet some Kodama. Like yes. that would just be so their cool. Their little butts. Like, I can't
0: get over their little tiny. Yeah. Butts. I don't know why that's well, so. And like when they're <laughs>
1: no, it is. It's adorable. And like when they're when they're running up that path and they're like giving each other piggyback yes. rides because that's what Ashitaka is mm-hmm. doing. It just yeah, they're just I don't know. They're so innocent, and I, I feel like the fact that one shows back up at the end of the movie, I feel like that rounds it out. Of like you know what we're going to be okay. Yeah. Like things are going to be okay. We just have to be, we have to pay attention, but it's going to be all right. It was very reassuring. Yeah. So I I also, yeah, they're, they're great little guys. It
0: has a, despite <laughs> how bleak things are, it does seem to have a hopeful message at the end.
1: It does. And even like the music, which is something that I like, hesitant to get into because I could talk a long time, <laughs> but <laughs> But yeah, the music and the way they support everything with like like the soundtrack behind it, like that the very end, the music is very hopeful of like it's gonna be okay and we're all gonna come out of this. And like it's bright, it's sunny sounding and like yeah, it was just very reassuring. Whereas like the the demon music is so like high stress and high anxiety. Yeah. Like I just I felt like that that the whole ending was very much like, and, and yeah, like I said, with the pacing where it's like, we're calm. Okay. There's a stressful situation. We're calm. Okay. There's a stressful situation. <laughs> you get a break. Dialogue, dialogue, action, dialogue, action. So I feel like that bringing it back at the end of like, we had all this crazy stuff, but like, it's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. You can breathe again. Absolutely.
0: Um So, you know, we've talked about this um, this whole time. We've been discussing all the things that we love about this movie. But if you had to sum it up in like a sentence, why do you like this movie so much? And why do you think you've seen it so many times?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. Oh, man. Um, I'd probably say because it is so complex. It's visually stunning. And that draws you in at first. But every rewatching, you'll pick up something different. And you'll change your understanding of it. And yeah, it's just, it's a very dense, complex movie. So it doesn't get old. Yeah, I can watch it innumerable times and not be mad about it. Yeah, I think
0: if you're a Hayao Miyazaki fan or you even want to dip your toe into this world, I always say that. You could probably (laughs) make a drinking game. Many times I say dip your toe. But um, I do think this is like, some of the best showcasing of his work and it's just such a great story i i've seen it several times it's a movie i don't get tired of i mean i guess if i'm honest (laughs) i don't get tired of a lot of movies but this one in particular i think is very special and you know we talked a lot about the multi-layered nature of it you can return back to it several times and see something new so i recommend it um now this is kind of a follow-up to that question but if you had to give like an elevator
1: pitch to somebody like, here's why you should see this movie. What, what would you say okay, about Princess Do you Plano like King? things that are beautiful and stunning? Do you like things that give you feels? Do you like plants? Watch this movie.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that should be on the back of the, of the movie. If anybody owns movies anymore um, <laughs> that are not digital. Um, but yeah, I... I agree. Um, it it is truly gorgeous. I mean, you know, for a long time, I had a hard time with the transition into digital because I did miss these really beautifully detailed animated movies because I thought you could do so much. The, you know, opportunities are endless if you spend the time and it's just such a great example of, of how, you know, all the detail and passion put into this movie makes such a beautiful product that, you know, ages very well. Um, But Jenny, this was so fun, and it's funny that you were saying in the beginning, you're like, I don't know. It's like you have so many good things to say about the movie. You did such an awesome job. I'm so glad you came on and wanted to talk about it with me.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, I definitely. I feel like I had some nerves and cold feet at the beginning, but I mean, the movies. Yeah, but the movie's just so good, and it's so easy to ramble on and on and on and on because it there once again it's it's such a dense movie that there's just so much to talk about and I feel like that I'm happy to talk about it more <laughs> anytime yeah
0: you came to the right place well yeah this has been super fun I definitely want to have you back so you'll have to think of another movie in the future that you want to talk about but um, okay I can do that <laughs> yeah thanks so much for coming and uh you know thank you for being on
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.